Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 264. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, and I am super excited for today's conversation. Y'all are going to love this one, really and truly, because my guest today, <laughs> I really fell in love with her. She really caught my attention at the very end of her TED Talk, which I'm going to link to, and I highly recommend you check out. During which time, she had the audience kind of call and response style repeat after her by saying... Sometimes people are not going to like me, and that's okay. So if that sounds intriguing to you, today's episode is for you. I know all my women leaders and aspiring leaders, their ears just perked up because being a leader can so often be a thankless pursuit of getting things done at the cost of being well-liked, or at least it can feel that way sometimes. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I am thrilled and delighted to sit down with Amy Gallo, who is an expert in conflict communication and workplace dynamics and is the author of The HBR Guide to Dealing with Conflict, a how-to guidebook about handling conflict professionally and productively. And she's currently a co-host of the HBR's Women at Work podcast, which debuts its sixth season on October 5th. Now, Amy writes frequently about a whole range of topics with a focus on interpersonal dynamics, communicating ideas, leading and influencing people, and building your career in her role as contributing editor at the Harvard Business Review. Amy and I have a lot to talk about. You're going to love hearing from her. Without further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Amy Gallo. Amy Gallo, welcome to the Bust Up Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Your TED Talk is one of my favorite TED Talks I have ever seen on the gift of conflict. Those talks, as anyone who's done one, are really nerve-wracking mm -hmm. and takes so much work for, you know, a 12 to 15-minute presentation. And um, it's just rewarding to hear that people are finding it useful. Yeah, I think it was just brilliant on so many levels. And I'm excited to talk about the gift of conflict because that's a title that you don't see every day. And I think so many of us are naturally conflict averse. What do you feel like the benefits of conflict in the workplace are? Let's start there uh, as we begin. Yeah. And, and there are, I mean, there are lots of good reasons that we avoid conflict. Like you said, many of us are, are sort of naturally conflict averse or we're raised or trained to be conflict averse and partly because we really want people to like us. Mm. And we think that disagreeing with them is going to somehow create, you know, a chasm between us or somehow harm our relationship. And that can be the case, but there are 
lots of benefits. I mean, first and foremost at work, if you and I disagree about something, how to carry out a project plan, what's the best way to design a product or, you know, any any of the many things we we are prone to disagree about at work, if we have to hash that out and bring different perspectives, do it in a professional way, we're much more likely to get a better work outcome mm. because of it. And so that's that's really one of the, the best parts of disagreeing is that it allows us to bring diverse ideas and perspectives and to learn from one another and to build on each other's ideas and to get the best possible outcomes at work. Right. I feel like harnessing creativity collectively is hard. Yes. And there's actually this concept that Linda Hill calls um, creative friction, which in her research, she's a professor at Harvard Business School. And in her research at very innovative places like Pixar, for example, that's essential, right? You have to have, if everyone agreed right from the beginning, you wouldn't get these amazing, beautiful films. You would get really boring things. And the same goes for most of our workplaces. If you don't get that creativity, you know, new ideas, innovations, and a largely it's often because people aren't af- are afraid mm. to speak up and to say something that's different than someone in power might say, or to even disagree with people that they like, they think they need to be polite, right? We miss out on a lot of great ideas because of this conflict aversion. Totally. And it's interesting, even the word disagree has such a negative connotation, right? Yeah, in your in your yeah. TED Talk, I think you say in today's hyper-political or just hyper-divided world, saying I disagree is akin to saying you're stupid or, I, you know, yeah. totally discrediting somebody. When I like to talk about this with groups in, in workplaces, I, I shift the narrative towards dissent. Sometimes just because dissent is a more positive <laughs> spin on disagreement. Yeah. And I wonder, right. you know, if – Or debate. Or debate. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and where do you feel like that negative connotation stems from? And do you feel like there's any gender disparity at play or gender bias that, that plays into all of this? The reason disagree has become, or even conflict, you know, sometimes I'll get asked to do talks at, you know, an organization based on my book, which is, has the word conflict in it. And then they'll say, you know, the organizer will call me and just say, do you think you could do this without mentioning conflict? (laughs) No, that's impossible. But I do think that there is a negative connotation and it's become, partly it's becomes because of our political environment, we, we've gotten used to you know, being around people who agree with us and that feels good. And when we disagree, we feel like it's a personal attack, but so often it's not, it's very depersonal. And the reason I think dissent and debate work better is because we usually think about dissenting or debating ideas and we don't, and disagreeing and conflict is, it tends to be much more personal. And that's one of the important things if you're trying to encourage debate and dissent on your team is to really have people focus on the ideas and not the people. And if you personally are trying to get better at disagreeing, you know, you have to remember this is not about me. This is about the work. And you have to remember that you can disagree in a way that is polite, 
kind, compassionate, like that it does not have to be something mean. You asked about the gender component and I did want to answer that too, because I think the, that, that is, there is a gender lens on, on all of this, which is, you know, I'm, I'm not aware of any biological research that shows that women um, tend to disagree less or tend to disagree more. But what we do know from research, particularly around negotiation and, and advocating for oneself, that women incur a harsher penalty for advocating for themselves. So if I'm to disagree with someone's opinion and I might have a male counterpart who would do it in the exact same way, you can assume that I'm going to be judged more harshly for that disagreement. So women tend to learn to either disagree in a particularly agreeable way or to not disagree at all quite often. Right. You know, it's interesting. You're reminding me of the great conversation this entire Bossed Up podcast started with back on episode 01 with your former colleague, Sarah Green Carmichael. We had a conversation all about to lead or be liked. And I know she was the former co-host of the Women at Work podcast that you now host, which is fantastic. You know, I'm sensing this tension because I feel like there's a lot of women out there who feel like I shouldn't take things personally. I should allow critique to roll off my back and, you know, acknowledge that they're critiquing my ideas, not me as a human being. And all of that element of depersonalizing debate is important for healthy conflict, for healthy uh, dissent at work. And yet there's the entire field of emotional intelligence, which I also know you're quite familiar with, that talks about how our feelings are important, you know? And I'm interviewing uh, some really incredible experts on emotional intelligence on this podcast very soon. And how do we reconcile those two? Like, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your fantastic book, Harvard Business Review's Guide to Dealing with Conflict and what depersonalize really means. Because don't take things personally can be used to reject your negative emotions in an unhelpful way. So what's that boundary look like? Yeah. And I, and I don't think we should think about work as you know, not personal and not emotional for sure. I mean, right. we, our emotions are important. It's important to be aware that when someone disagrees with you, sometimes it hurts. You know, mm. I have to, I personally, sometimes I have to relearn that lesson all the time of like, why am I feeling so angry or annoyed or, um, you know, upset about that comment? I was like, oh, well, because my ego was involved in that project and yeah. they criticized it and that hurt, right? So it's, it's important to remember that, but that, and, and when I talk about depersonalizing, it's, it's less about putting your emotions aside and it's more focusing on what's the goal here. Mm. So when that person, you know, criticizes the project that I've poured my heart into, it's not because they don't like me. It's not because they think I'm an idiot. It's because they want the project to go really well. And I have to assume that, mm. you know, of course it may be that they don't like me or they think I'm an idiot and that's a separate issue. But most of the time it's about a shared goal that has nothing to do with my identity, but has to do with the work. Right. And, and, and that's one of the things I talk about in the book is one of the ways to help you separate your ego from the disagreement is to think about what is it we're actually disagreeing about here? Is it the goal of the pro of the project? Is it how it's going to get done? Is it who gets to make the decision? 
you know, or is there actually an interpersonal issue here, which there sometimes is, and and it's important to keep that in mind. Um, but more often than not, it's one of those other types of conflicts, some, you know, over the goal, the process, or even status that, and if you can focus on those issues, then you don't have to get your ego involved or your emotions involved right away. You right. can solve the underlying business issue together collaboratively. And then maybe, of course, you might have to address some of the interpersonal stuff too, but usually the conflict has its roots in something that's work-related. Right. We should hope so, right? Yes. It's interesting, right? I think uh, I heard recently about this really helpful perspective shift that I've been bringing to a lot of our programming, which is taking the conflict that feels like it's between you and some other person and putting it before you and that other person. And I think of that because a lot of my conflict usually revolves around when or how, <laughs> right? Yep. When should this part of the puzzle be solved? And uh, you know, how should we prepare dinner exactly? And does microwaving a bag of tater tots really count? No. So, right. <laughs> you know, when when those are the the nitty gritty elements of uh, of identifying the goals of the conversation or the the mutual benefits to resolving the conflict, and you put it before you two instead of between you two, all of a sudden you can tackle this tangle as a team, and that's just such a small perspective shift that you're reminding me of Barbara Tannenbaum from Brown University, mm-hmm. who you may know, mm-hmm. your Providence. Yeah person there. She was recently on the podcast here, uh, which was a total blast for the past episode for me because I'm a byproduct of her fantastic persuasive communication course at Brown. And she always says, know your goals and know your audience. Now, you talk about assuming the best and trying to adopt the perspective of other people. When you are mad as hell because the passive-aggressive colleague has struck again, and done something that you find personally offensive, how do you manage to do that? How do you check that that first gut instinct to just snipe back? Yeah, that is not easy to do. And and a big part of it is forgiving yourself if you do snipe back, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a that's a normal reaction when you feel threatened, right? We're gonna we might go into that fight or flight mode. Well, you know, emotional intelligence experts call amygdala hijack, and you might fight right? Or you might shut down and that's okay. That that happens. Um, ideally, you want to get to a place where you can watch yourself, you know, mm. sort of observe yourself, like fly in the wall, have that reaction and understand that's not the best reaction in this moment. That's not going to get me what I want out of this situation because um, it often escalates the conflict rather than, than, you know, solves it or pushes it forward. So, you really what you want to do is is take a deep breath use whatever mindfulness exercises help you calm down and and then ask yourself you know thinking about the other person and and this is people often push back and say that's the last thing i want to do why would i be generous to someone who is just a passive aggressive jerk to me right and you know my answer is that it's not about generosity it's a strategic move because if you can start thinking about not only what you want from the situation, but what Mm -hmm. the other person wants, you can start doing exactly what you were just talking about, which is to put yourselves on the same side of the table, figure out what the problem is 
that you all want to solve, right? There's three entities in the discussion. There's not just you versus that other person. There's you, the other person, and the problem or the conflict. And if you can get on the same side of the table, as negotiation experts call it, to solve that problem together, it is going to go so much better. And you are going to be able to behave in a way that you walk away feeling like I did my best, right? I mean, so much of the coaching work and the speaking work I do is, is, is talking to people who say, you know, I'm sick of staying up at night. I'm sick of talking my partner's ear off about this relationship with my coworker or spending my entire commute back when we had commutes, right? <laughs> thinking about, thinking about, oh my God, I wish I had said this. I wish I had done this. I shouldn't have said this, right? And, and ideally you want to get to a place where you can feel proud of how you handled it and get the outcome that you, that you want. And, and that may involve, of course, negotiating, collaborating, even conceding something Mm -hmm. because that's the natural, you know, human interaction is a lot of give and take. And if, if you're going to ask for something from your colleague, chances are you're going to have to give something too, but you want to do, you really want to be proud of how you handled the process Mm. um, because that's also going to lay the groundwork because you know, guess what? This jerk, the passive aggressive jerk you have to work with on this project probably is going to come back around sometime. You're going to have to work with that person again. So you want to lay the groundwork that we can have difficult conversations. We cannot, we can see, you know, things differently and still come to an agreement and still move forward. Right. It's interesting, right? Because sometimes I get stuck on the Michelle Obama mantra of you know, when they go low, go high. Mm-hmm. But I love your approach, which is a lot more satisfying. <laughs> what you're saying is sometimes going high is also kind of getting what you want. <laughs> There's no, we're not we're not saying that to resolve conflict, you must constantly suppress your own needs and wants and desires and kowtow to someone else or concede to someone else. We're not saying that to be a good leader, we must martyr ourselves, right? I've certainly been down that road before and it's not pleasant. Yeah. But my husband jokes that one of my favorite pastimes or hobbies, even if you will, which I picked up on when I was a grassroots organizer. And when you have to make something out of nothing, you have to get very good about getting people to do something for you and delighting in it every step of the way. And org- organizing taught me, and this this really stems from the um, the work I did with Marshall Gans at the Kennedy School of Government, was how do I bring together people with common interests and diverse resources? So if we have a conflict to solve, you know, how do I get this person excited about donating to this cause or thrilled to bring those cupcakes to the bake sale or whatever the hell it is, you know, thrilled to take on the speaking role at the conference that I can't do and getting other people to do things for free or for market value or for whatever, given the circumstances and be thrilled about the opportunity to do something for you is like, to me, the icing on the cake. That is the the master level negotiation that I delight in. And I know that the program on negotiation and the Harvard Business Review's negotiation resources are immense. I just wonder how conflict resolution has become warped for women and folks who identify as women or conditioned to act like ladylike, which seems to send this message of 
just sacrifice your well-being and put other people first. Or sacrifice your goals or your team or your resource rate. Like, and I, I never want the advice I give around thinking about the other person, you know, being kind and compassionate to ever be confused with being, you know, nice in air quotes that the, the niceness that we really often condition women to, to exhibit this is, these are strategic tactics that help you get what you want. And like you say, at no point should you be sacrificing your sanity and um, your health and your goals, right? You, you should keep your goals top of mind in these, in these conversations. And just because you have to give something doesn't mean you have to give everything, and there are times, I mean, I've, I have a colleague who I was helping deal with a really difficult colleague, a, a third co- co-worker. You know, this was something that was going on for months. And I was, I was giving her advice about how to, you know, talk to him and, and really think about what he wants. And, and she just, she, she was doing, you know, doing a great job, doing a great job. And it still remained difficult. And finally, she lost it in a meeting. And she just yelled. And she was, she walked out and she's like, I can't believe it. But he followed her out of the meeting and said, I just didn't know how you felt. Thank you for being clear. And it it was eye opening to me that sometimes all the tactics that usually work sometimes won't work with someone and you have to lose it and you have to be clear. And, and, and Michelle's Obama, you know, when they go low, we go high. Sometimes you have to go low, but it has, but it has to be a strategic decision. And it has to, because it has to be something you really feel passionately about. And I, and this is, you know, with, when I think about like racism and sexism at, at work, those kind of disagreements, if we can categorize those as disagreements, those are ones that you, when people's, you know, sense of self and self-worth is at stake, sometimes the, the most kind, compassionate tactics just aren't worth it. Sometimes you just have to call it out. You have to be harsh. And yet what we also know from research is that people tend to not change their behavior if they are accused of something like racism or sexism, right? They, they, they need help. They need compassion in order to actually change their behavior. They may stop because you've told them this is unacceptable. But if you really want them to change their viewpoint and their their long-term behavior, really helping them understand the impact of their behavior, helping them give them got you know guidance on how they can change, that is much more effective. Yeah, I I think this is a really important point because there's a lot of privilege and intersectionality wrapped up in what we're saying right now, which is twofold. One, sometimes going low is the thing you're saying you can have to do at times to get your point across, which is what I saw time and again working in campaigns and elections when I'd have to close the door on the screaming state director and the assistant director to say, hey, guys, you're scaring the volunteers. Can we not practice leadership at this volume. Uh, But then the second piece of this is, you know, sometimes the privilege of being able to fly off the handle without being seen as completely unprofessional and unhinged is also aided by whiteness in a world seeped with white supremacy and maleness in a world that is, you know, seeped in patriarchy. I'm reading Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility right now, which is maddening in how relatable (laughs) it all is. And as you're saying, 
she says when you accuse someone of being a racist, it plays into this binary assumption that you either are or are not a racist instead of seeing the systematic racism that we're all seeped in. And it, of course, triggers defensiveness, which I think a lot of conflict, as you mentioned, triggers a sense of self-protection instincts. How do we or what's happening? If you could just give us a rundown of what's even happening in our minds when we feel defensive in that way and how do we fly above it? You know, how do we access the mindfulness it takes to do something better and more productive? Yeah. Well, I mean, any conflict is can be interpreted and often is interpreted as a threat, right? A threat to our resources, our identity, our ego, our sense of self, right? There's lots of ways in, in, in which we might feel threatened. And we actually might be literally threatened in that we might lose our jobs or we might lose credibility with someone who it's really important to have credibility with. And when we experience a threat, our brains are not good at deciphering the difference between an actual life threat, like being chased down by a bear, and something that's less threatening, like not getting our way on a project plan. And so we go into um, amygdala hijack where we lose access to the prefrontal cortex, which is the rational thinking part of our brain. And we go into fight or flight and that's where we tend to shut down or not say anything for a lot of us, me included, that means like tears, right? Where I, I'm no longer able to speak and I just start crying. Um, or it might mean anger, right? Where we yell or, um, you know, do anything that feels like we have to defend ourselves. And as you say, that behavior is interpreted very differently depending on your gender, depending on your race, um, your age often as well. And so it's important to remember that. And, and it's important also to know what tactics do you as, a, as an individual have that helps you get out of that amygdala hijack, you know, how can you return access to your prefrontal cortex so you can then do the complicated thinking that you have to do of what's the most strategic way to respond here? Do I need to take a break? Do they need to take a break? Um, you know, what will be effective? What do what does this person care about? What do I care about? What's my primary goal here? Um, you know, that's very complex thinking that we don't do well when we feel threatened. So how do we get our brains out of that threatened mode and more into sort of a rational thinking mode. And that's really the first step in trying to figure out how to respond. And, and I think one, you know, sort of big piece of advice for anyone who wants to get better at handling conflicts is, is to think about the, you know, oftentimes we feel like it's, it's urgent and sometimes it is, you know, sometimes there's a project that needs to be done tomorrow and there's time pressure and, um, but oftentimes we, we sort of push ourselves to figure out a resolution when we could really take our time. And conflict, you know, it, I mean, and a lot of us do this because our instinct is this is a horribly uncomfortable conversation that I want to be over as quickly as possible. But oftentimes these co conflicts require many difficult conversations. And sometimes you have an initial conversation, you go into amygdala hijack, you're not proud of how you behaved. Okay, come back to it right? Come back to it again. Or sometimes you're just information gathering in that first conversation and then coming up with a strategy and coming back to it. So a lot of it is about being patient with yourself that you're not going to be calm, cool, and collected every time. 
And it's likely going to take multiple at bats, you know, to to try to figure out a resolution because these are often really thorny problems. Yeah, this is my favorite point of yours because the advice, the age old advice of never go to bed angry is poppycock, <laughs> right? Like sometimes a good night's sleep or a good cry or just some deep breathing exercises is exactly what I need to return to an argument or some kind of conflict uh, as my best self. And one thing I learned from Sheila Heen, um, who also I believe is in in the Harvard, uh, she's a Harvard professor. Yeah. Yeah. She's written a lot for HBR. Oh, great. Yeah. I loved her book, Thanks for the Feedback. And one way it's really influenced my work is as a manager myself, when I see conflict or when I see issues that I want to give feedback on, I will save it for the appropriate time, place, and channel, which is my bi-monthly check-in with my direct reports, right? And sometimes patience can be such a virtue when it comes to conflict in the workplace. And I think part of the reason we're so itchy to and sort of irritated by an unresolved conflict stems from our, as you mentioned at the very top, innate desire to not only like others, but be liked. So what would you say to the woman listening This is one of my last questions for you, but what would you say to my listeners who are like, I cannot stand the idea that someone just might not like me? Like, what can I do with this colleague who clearly doesn't know me because I'm great and they just don't seem to like me? What am I to do? This is difficult. I think the, the, if you want to be liked, being a manager is probably not the best role for you because people get mad at their managers. I mean, think about how many managers you've had and how many times you've been annoyed or frustrated or right. It is, there is something inherent in the relationship that oftentimes there is a, there's some conflict and, and, but that's okay. Right. You, you didn't just because you had some conflict with your manager didn't mean you hated them. And and it's, you know, I, I mentioned this in my TED Talk, you know, this has become a longtime mantra of mine, which is that sometimes people are going to be mad at you, and that's okay. And people have, lots of very successful women have been okay with people being frustrated, annoyed, disappointed, and angry at them. And those feelings often change. So just because you give negative feedback to someone on your team, or you have to make a decision that they're unhappy with, that's not a permanent emotion. People have disappointment, anger, sadness, and then they move on. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's also not your job to be liked by everyone. I mean, think about... One more time for the people in the back. I just love... It is not your job to be well-liked by everyone all the time. Yes. And you and ask yourself, would you rather be liked or would you rather be respected? And those things are not the same. And, and it's important to think about the people you work with and who you like and who you respect. And sometimes those things go hand in hand, certainly. But really what you want ultimately, what you're all there for is to, you know, further yourselves to achieve the goals of the company or the team or the organization and that that it's not a popularity contest that doesn't help you do those things instead it's it's about do, doing right by the organization's mission 
by people's values and by your own values. And that is going to involve some conflict. Um, and, you know, and just, and it, it's, it's okay to do some self-soothing and tell, you know, like I said, I use that mantra all the time. Sometimes people are going to be mad at you and that's okay. I love it so much. And I, I, you're reminding me of the fact that sometimes in order to make myself proud, I have to risk disappointing others. And that is a constant negotiation, not only with the external world, but with the internal world, right? With how we think of ourselves, especially as women who are striving to be perfect in every domain at all times. Well, and I'll tell you, as the mom of a teenager, this mm-hmm. is something I think about a lot because there are so many things that she wants that are not good for her. <laughs> that that So I'm constantly in a position yeah. of like, I have to disappoint her. And trust me, I would love if she thought I was the best mom in the world. But sometimes she's going to be annoyed. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to let her get Snapchat right now. And that's going to annoy her. And... And it's still okay. It's still the right decision, right? And that's, you know, I I hate when people equate parenting and and leadership advice, but sometimes a lot of the advice is similar. And I do think you, you know, you want to do things that you know are best for the organization, best for the team, best for the company, and that's not going to make everyone happy. Right. Well, I I always think of it as, you know, 15-year-old her is going to be mad at you, but 30-year-old her is going to be awesome. (laughs) And she's going to be like... Thanks, mom. <laughs> Amy, this has been such a delight. You have so such an oh, array of uh, of expertise to draw from. I could seriously talk to you forever. Tell our listeners of the many projects you have going on, where they should catch up with you and your fantastic work. Sure. So um, a couple of things. They can check out my website, which is um, amyegallo.com if they want more information about my work. Um, certainly they should check out um, Harvard Business Review. I have a ton of articles there, hbr.org. And also I am, as you mentioned, the co-host of the HBR's Women at Work podcast. And we're about to start our sixth season, which will launch on October 5th. And you can check that out wherever you listen to podcasts and and also on hbr.org. Awesome. Amy, thanks again for being with us. Thanks for having me, Emily. This was really fun. If you love this conversation as much as I did, head to bossedup.org slash episode 264 for all of today's relevant links and show notes. And make sure to subscribe to the Women at Work podcast, which debuts its sixth season coming up on October 5th. So subscribe now so you don't miss an episode. All right, now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Now, today's Boss Move is not a traditional one, and it is so important to celebrate even more so because of that. Rose Marie checked in in the Bossed Up Courage community with this, quote, I started what I thought was my dream job. I was clear about boundaries and ensuring that I had a healthy place from which to be productive. But I soon realized that was not appreciated or even tolerated. I almost posted in this group about toxic work cultures, but I knew just the fact that I was inclined to ask about it was a big flag for me. I was able to resign on Monday, and on Tuesday morning, I had an interview and an hour later, a new contract in my inbox. Now I'm just trying to wrap up the last week here strong. Congratulations, Rosemary. Now, the fact that she got a new contract does not make this very untraditional, but the untraditional nature of what we're really celebrating here in this boss move 
is the fact that she listened to her gut. She didn't go outside of herself for input like, should I leave? Should I stay or go? No, she said, you know what? The fact that I'm even asking if I should be out of this workplace means I should be out of this workplace. I wish I had gotten that memo in my early to mid-20s for every terrible relationship (laughs) I've ever been in when I should have known that if I was asking people, how bad does it need to be for me to leave? Uh, The answer is already you've achieved. Level unlocked, right? Like, Regardless, congratulations, Rosemary, and thank you for sharing in the Bossed Up Courage community where we're really there to help lift as we climb. Now, if you've got a boss move of the week to share, if you want to celebrate yourself for even the small wins you're feeling right now, or if you have a career conundrum, you want me to ask any of my guests on an upcoming episode, call it in on the Bossed Up Podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. You can also send a voice memo to info at bossedup.org. Now, if you are a leader on the rise who wants to navigate how to lead, even though being liked is sometimes really hard when, when doing so, definitely check out Level Up, our leadership accelerator for women leaders on the rise. Enrollment closes really soon, but we have a few spots still available. Check out all the details at bossedup.org slash level up. And we even have a template already written for you to help get your boss on board for sponsoring it and covering the cost. It's a really dynamic program. We just launched our first cohort back in May and women in that program are just killing it and blowing me away and you know saying that having this resource having this community is a game changer during these tumultuous times so i'd love to work with you further if you want to go deeper with me and bossed up definitely join us at bossedup.org slash level up until next time y'all keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together let's lift as we